So I'd like to take a little bit of a brief survey. Um, let's do this. Raise your hand if you have not complained over the past year. All right, so those at home, no one raised their hand, and I'm assuming that you didn't either. All right, let's try this. How about the past month? Anyone succeed in not complaining at all? Last week, there was an election. Anyone resist complaining? No? All right, I don't want you to raise your hand, but just think, have you already complained today? Have you woken up this morning like, oh, I have to get up early, I have to go to church, or maybe you got on social media a little early and you're like, I can't believe this person's saying this thing. We all do it. We all complain. Uh, it could be at a restaurant when you used to go out to eat and you complain about the service or the food. Um, it could be about, like we just talked about, elections or government where you say, I can't believe this, this is happening this way. We complain about church, even the very place that we're sitting right now, where it could be a small complaint of it's a little too hot in the sanctuary or it's a little too cold, or even the big things where we say, you know, I, I just don't think we've gone far enough. I think we should be able to not wear our masks at church. Or some of us who are a little worried of saying, you know, I think we've gone too far. I think we, we shouldn't be doing this in person. We complain about family. We complain about our kids, we complain about our spouse, we complain about our extended family, um, the ones that maybe we didn't want to inherit but had to. We complain about things that are personal to us. We complain about illness that has affected us where we say, you know, I just, I just want this to go away. I don't want to be sick anymore. I don't want to feel this way anymore. And yet this story that we're about to read has one of the harshest responses to complaining. It's a response of death. Death comes in this passage to those who complain. So the question for us is, complaining really that evil? Is it really that bad? Is it something that we should take more seriously? So as we read this passage, let me encourage us to examine our lives and, and take from this passage what we need to apply and say, hey, do I need to fight this temptation to complain? Do I need to do something different? with my heart. And what's interesting about this passage is something that we read over rather quickly is, is we are tempted to just give the Israelites a hard time of like, you know, they're complaining and it's just sort of like, get over it, guys. And yet God is very honest with us in the very, very beginning of this passage. Look back at verse 1. It says, the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And in another translation, it actually says hardship. So right in the very beginning of this passage, God is honest that they are going through something hard, that they have misfortunes in their life. I mean, just think about it. Right now, they're, they're traveling in the desert. They're starting to, to travel, and all they see is desert for miles and miles and miles. They don't know when they're going to reach the promised land. They go over sand dune over sand dune, and all they see is continue to see desert. And not only that, but they have to sleep in tents every single night. Every single night, they have to pitch their tent. They have to lay down. They hear the wind flapping. There's no security. There's no walls. There's no, there's no uh, time in which they just stay in one location. And then the next morning, they have to get up, and they have to pack up their tent again. And then they have to keep walking, and then they have to pitch their tent again and sleep in it at night. And every single day, they have to gather the manna. And, and yes, the Lord has provided day after day after day the food, but, but what if he doesn't provide tomorrow? What if we're just being led to a place where we starve? And they're completely insecure. There's no protection from enemies. They don't know where they're headed. And it's just this act in which they're supposed to trust the Lord. And, and God says, 
there's misfortunes for them. There's hardship for them. And even, even later on in the Bible, this is what they'll say about their passage. This is from Jeremiah 2.6. The Lord who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. And this is exactly where the people are right now. And what God is telling us in the lives of these people that their lives are hard. And he doesn't minimize the people's feelings. He's not a father telling children, just get over it. It's not that big of a deal. And what this tells us as well for our own lives is that God doesn't demand us to be stoic. He doesn't demand us to endure hardship or pain without actually having any emotion or feeling towards it. He doesn't demand that we just ignore hardship and pretend it isn't there. There's a real honesty from God in this passage that life is hard. COVID is hard. Relationships is hard. Jobs are hard. The unknown is hard. Life is hard. So do not hear from this passage, and I want to make it extremely clear, that God is not telling us that you must be stoic, that, that you have to put on a brave face and ignore every hardship that is happening in your life. God is honest that life is hard. But as much as God is honest about how hard life is, he is also honest with how destructive complaining is. Because look at what happens with the people, and we see rather clearly that complaining in their life destroys their minds and hurts other people. It destroys their ability to think straight, and it hurts other people who are in their midst. One of the best jokes of the Bible, I believe, is actually found in verse 5. So look back at verse 5. It's as if God is listening to their conversation, and it says, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. It's almost like a group of guys are standing around and going, you know, we only looked at the downside of slavery when we were in it, but there was really some good things going on. You know, the food was free. No one says that. No one does that. And yet their minds have been warped by their complaining in which they look to the past and they, their complete understanding of the past has been changed in which they go, you know, slavery really wasn't that bad. <laughs> but it was terrible. They were groaning when they were in Egypt. They were calling out to God on a daily basis. And not only did it destroy their understanding of their past, but their complaining destroys their understanding of the present. Because even God gives a response to them where, and look back at verse 6, it says, but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. And manna actually in the Bible is called the bread of angels. And when they first called out in the desert, God brought the manna and they were thankful for it. They were rejoicing in it. And what's funny is, is even in this passage, God's reminding them, it's free. You know, <laughs> you are complaining that something isn't free, but you have free food in front of you. Their even understanding of the present has been destroyed by their complaining. And we all know too well the, the, their understanding of the future is destroyed. Because even they say, if only we had meat to eat, we'll be happy. But God quickly tells them that once you get this meat, it will become loathsome to you. You will hate it. It will come out of your nostrils and you'll, you will no longer desire it. Complaining has destroyed their entire ability to think straight and think rationally. And not only does complaining destroy our ability to think rationally, but it also hurts other people. Have you ever complained about someone complaining? 
where you get off the phone with a family member and you turn to your spouse or a friend or another, fa- or you call up another family member and you go, can you believe this person is complaining about how good their life is? Complaining almost leads to other people complaining. And that's exactly what happens in this passage. If you look back at verse 4, it says, now the rabble that was among them. And the rabble is the group of people that left Egypt with them that weren't Israelites, but were outside the Israelites. And, and that, that small minority group of people start complaining about the food. And because they complain, the, the people of Israel start complaining. And because of the people of Israel start complaining, then Moses starts complaining. And because Moses starts complaining, it gets to God. And it's telling us that, that complaining spreads. It's this reminder that sin splatters. As much as we think it's just about us, as much as we want to say, like, I'm just annoyed with my own life, I just want to complain about my own life, it doesn't affect other people, it does. It spreads out. And it hurts other people. The actor uh, Josh Gad um, actually knows how destructive complaining is. And he talks about one, of the, one performance that he just royally messed up in. And he said that someone in the audience was being incredibly distracting to him. And he was looking at this person and he was just thinking, I can't believe this person's doing this. And he doesn't explain what the distraction is, but he's just saying, you know, I was just annoyed with this person. I couldn't believe that this person was doing this during the performance. I I just wanted to stop them. And he actually says this, I was really distracted, but that's on me. I should have known better. And he says throughout the first act, this complaining is just running around in his head where he's like, I just want to, I'm just sick of this person. I'm so annoyed. And intermission takes place. And throughout intermission, he's not taking a break from acting, but he's just thinking, he's like, I'm going to call this person out. I'm going to point them out to everyone. I'm going to, I'm going to somehow add it to the performance to make sure that they're embarrassed. I'm, I'm so angry with them. And so the second act begins and he gets out on stage and he's having this internal conversation, his, this complaint that's running through his head. And all of a sudden he hears the cue to the song that he has to sing. And he doesn't say anything. And he, he says this of the experience. He goes, I didn't just forget my cue. I forgot the English language. <laughs> and he looks at the conductor, and the d- conductor feeds him his line. And he says, I didn't hear it. So he sits there for a whole minute staring at the audience and the audience staring back at him. The, the stage manager yells out the line to him. And he said, I still couldn't understand it. And he goes, listen, I'm a trained actor. I, I trained in improv. I should be able to pull this out. And he said, the only thing that I could do was turn to my co-star on stage and say, what am I supposed to say? He admits that in front of an audience that paid lots of money to watch him perform, they couldn't have been more confused. He said, it's the worst night of my life. It was horrible. I never fully recovered that night. And it all happened because of complaining. The complaint destroyed his mind, his ability to think straight. And he admits that it ruined the show for 1,200 people that night. He said, they all paid large amounts of money to watch you perform, and they didn't get that. Now, probably none of us have felt the impact of complaining in which we failed to deliver for a, you know, Tony Star winning performance of 1,200 people, but you know of times in which complaining has been destructive to you in your life. That, that, that hamster wheel that goes around in your head where you're like, I just can't believe this person is doing this, or I can't believe this is happening to me, or I, I can't believe that work is like this in which it, you just can't let it go and it's gnawing away at you, and you can't think straight for the entire day. 
or where you've either been on the receiving end or you've been the one giving it, where you're complaining to someone else and you go, you know, I just, I, I can't stand work. I'm so sick of it. I hate my house. I hate how messy it is. Nothing seems to be going right in my life. And the person tries to kind of give you some encouragement of like, well, you know, I, I don't think it's that bad. And you go, no, it is. You should be as mad as me. You should be as upset as me. And it not only ruined your day and ruined your attitude and ruined your heart, but it ruined theirs as well. Look, God doesn't take away the truth of the hardship of our lives. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say to, to hide it. But that doesn't mean that complaining is the solution. And it doesn't mean that complaining isn't incredibly destructive. Complaining is destructive to our minds and it's com- destructive to others. So when we start complaining, we actually need to catch ourselves and say, wait a second, it really is this bad. It's not a no big deal type of thing. It's a major deal type of thing. So let us not continue this way. Let us commit to fighting against complaining in our lives. But much more important to the story and for us is is that complaining points to something deeper that needs to be solved. Even worse than complaining is the root of it. Look, Look back at verse 20. This is in reference to the meat that they're about to eat. And it says, you're going to eat meat for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. We see the people's hearts. We see their reason for complaining. It's a complete rejection of the Lord, the one who was with them and for them, that God was walking with them and yet they've rejected him. And again, this story has a very hard ending where where it says that people are going to die because of this. But it's a warning to us, a warning that that sin, that a focus on ourselves, that, that, that that sin kills relationship and has always a hard ending. And that's what has happened in the people's hearts. God's not mad that they didn't ask appropriately. He's not flying off the handle. He actually gives them the food that they asked for. He gives Moses the support that he demanded. The problem with this is that in their hearts, they have severed their relationship with God. And God, this entire time, has been with them saying, I want a relationship with you. I am a father to you. I am with you. I am walking with you. Even through this hardship, I will be with you. And what is their response? We want nothing to do with you. You have failed us. And so God gives them what they want. He gives them the food they demand, but he also gives them no more relationship with himself. And the truth of the matter is that there is no life outside of God, and that is their death. And the warning, the warning that is presented in this passage is true for each and every one of us, that, that complaining is simply a symptom of the heart that the root problem that we have is that we reject God. That, and, and the truth of the matter is that there is no life outside of God. There is death outside of a relationship with God. Like the Israelites, we complained. We've, we all just admitted it, that we do it in our lives. We've all rejected God and deserve death for that rejection. But in the very beginning of this passage, we actually see this small story in which the gospel is presented, in which the good news is presented, in which God has mercy on those who complain. Look back at verse 2. It says, Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. 
And this is what we need as well, is Moses was a mediator for the people in which he stood in front of the Lord and asked for forgiveness. And we need a mediator before God who calls out for mercy. And that, that mediator we know is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ didn't just talk to God on our behalf, but he actually took the death that we deserved for our rejection of the Lord. God was rejected so that we may be saved. And although we rejected, although we pushed God away, although we said, God, get out of my life because I'd rather complain, I'd rather do life on my own, it's too hard, God didn't push back. He pursued. He sent Christ to draw us near. And Christ was the perfect mediator who was and does restore our relationship with God. So instead of us complaining, instead of looking to our own solutions, instead of just throwing up our hands and go, life's too hard, we can go to God for a relationship. He has solved the greatest hardship of our lives that we deserve an eternal death. We have been forgiven for that. And because God has taken the hardest thing that we can't solve on, us, on our own and has solved it, we know that he will walk with us through every hardship. He will be there. He will be providing. He will be comforting. And what God is calling us to this morning is not just a reminder not to complain, but to go to God for a relationship with God, to have a relationship with him. And so how do we do that? How do we have a relationship with God? I think it's rather easy. Let me ask you all. How do you start a relationship with someone? You talk. You spend time with that person. And you actually put their needs and their interests before your own. So it's going to take time, and it's going to take a pursuit. So first time. It's going to take time for us to be in a relationship with God. Relationships take time. No one meets for the first time and instantly becomes best friends. That's only in the movies, okay? All right? It t it, the saying goes, quantity time will, will lead into quality time. And with God, this is the same thing. Look, the people in this passage, they've already been walking with God, and they're still complaining. And guess what? They're going to complain again. They're going to fail again. But they're going to walk with God for 40 years. They're going to be in a relationship with God. They're going to continue to pursue that relationship. They're going to continue to spend time with God. And they won't notice day by day the changes that are taking place. But over time, they're going to change. And if we commit to pursue God for a relationship, if we put in the time, our lives will change as well. And not only do we need to put in the time, but we actually need to put God's needs before our own. We need to pursue him to know him. Look, if I only call you when I want something, you're not going to say that's a good friendship. <laughs> you're going to say there's a problem here. And that's the thing is a lot of times we, we view our lives and our relationship with God like that. We have so many needs and wants, and our temptation is only to call out to God when we need something. God, provide me food. Make my life easy. Give me what, we, what I want. But even said in the best way possible, that's not a genuine relationship. That's a genie. Instead, God is saying, come to me for me. Come to me for a relationship. Get to know me. And imagine what it would look like if we, if we went to God for God. Instead of going to God saying, provide this for me. Instead, going to God and saying, I need you. Instead of going to God saying, God, why is this hardship happening to me? Instead, going to God saying, 
I need to be close to you because my life is hard. Instead of going to God saying, make the future the way I want it to be, going to God and saying, your will be done. Look, if we have an attitude of the heart in that way where we pursue God for a relationship, that doesn't just overcome complaining. That's a radical shift in the way that we do life. Because our entire lives then will be about our relationship with the Lord. And then all other things will simply be benefits of that relationship. The peace and calmness that you feel because of the hardship that you're going through will be because of your relationship with the Lord, not because the hardship is over. You'll look at everything that you have, your food, your home, your provision, and you won't say, look what I've done, but instead, look how the Lord has provided for me. You'll actually end up having better relationships with other people because you'll go to the Lord on a daily basis and say, God, I've sinned again and I need your forgiveness. And he will say, my mercy is new every morning. And that way, when someone sins against you, you will turn to that person and say, I've been forgiven way more than you. Let me show you the same forgiveness the Lord has shown me. And your mind will not be swayed by hardship, but it will stay focused on the Lord and you will say, God, Help me through this. Being in a relationship with God changes our hearts. And when we pursue God for that relationship, everything changes. Daniel Naniri was a child refugee from Iran living in a refugee camp. And the camp was disgusting. It was this old brick building. Each room only had beds in it. The same terrible food was served week after week. And they had no idea when they were going to leave the refugee camp because they had to wait on a country to take them in. You see, Daniel was there with his family because his mom had found Christ in Iran. And in Iran, if you are a Christian and the secret police find out, they will kill you. So him and his mom and his sister fled and are now living in this refugee camp in Italy. But it was miserable. He, his mom was a doctor in Iran, well-respected in the town, paid lots of money. He had toys. He had food. He had things to do. He had things to look forward to. And now, living in this refugee camp, he has nothing. Nothing to do. Nothing good. No hope. And yet, when he looked at his mom, she didn't complain. In fact, she seemed to make the best of it. And he wondered why. And he writes this. My mom believed that there was a God and that God wanted us to believe in him. And he sent his son to die for us. And if you believe in that, then it has to take over your life. And she says this in reference to the refugee camp. This place will turn sadness into opium. It will trick you into thinking you were waiting to go live somewhere when you were already living somewhere. You see, his mom was able to live because she already had everything she needed. She had a relationship with the God who created her, and it was enough. The relationship was enough to make it through any hardship, to resist complaining, to have her life continue to be changed even though she was living in a refugee camp. I know that most of you, if not all of you, are going through hardship right now. Life is not easy, but it's tempting to say, 
I'm not living life right now. I'm waiting to, for my life to live and begin again once I get over this hardship. But that's not what God's encouraging us to do. It's tempting for us to say, I want to complain. I want to numb the pain and say, get me through this. But God's not encouraging us to do that. We actually have an opportunity this morning to both overcome hardship and complaining and to really live life, to live a life worth living because we have a relationship with a God who created us and loves us. God sees your hardship and he's calling you to run to him this morning. Let us go this morning living a life full of abundance because we have a relationship with the God who loves us.